0: you're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, our wonderful and very appreciated community radio partners, uh, or possibly on the podcast, which is found at greenmajority.ca. I am your host, Saren Kayster, and I am once again uh, alone, technically, literally alone, uh, in the studio here today uh, as we give the team a little bit of a break, um, as it were. No, no rest for the wicked, so I'm here. Um, but uh, we have more great interviews for you coming up here, so no break for you, the listener, just for us, the producer, sort of. Uh, but we are giving you a break from the heavy content. So we do have, uh, this is uh, part two of our uh, big ideas for 2019 Uh, Series We have is sort of two and a half. We ended up getting two and a half episodes. So there's still one more to come next week. We'll sort of squish that into a half regular show next week. This week, however, we're going to be hearing from uh, the the title holder that we've yet to get him a WWE slash F style uh, wrestling belt for it. But still the title holder, nonetheless, of all time, most and possibly best. I don't want to play favorites, but Tim's great, uh, visits to the show. Tim Nash, who's our uh, economics expert, you might say, our market uh, correspondent, um, if that's not too much pressure for Tim. But he's great. He's the green economist. He's been coming on to the show for years. And he, as usual, showers us with uh, much more technical knowledge about finance than uh, I will ever possess in my entire body is in his little finger. So we're going to hear him uh, talk about uh, green investments coming up and his big idea as well, followed by Sarah Bradley, who's here representing... Uh, Cycle T O, who's going to be talking about uh, an initiative that uh, she hopes comes to Toronto specifically but it's something that's already started to take off elsewhere in Canada and we're going to be just talking about it as an idea so that's also great and then just to round out the end of the show because um, I could talk by myself but probably best not to uh i have a great clip uh the it's the annual uh playing of my uh the pale blue dot poem by carl sagan at the end of the show as well as a really great clip about light uh by richard Feynman. so we have some uh, classic science around at the end of the program two great guests coming out before that this is the green majority 2019 big ideas holiday show uh so we're gonna get started now this is uh, uh stefan interviewing uh tim nash uh again tim nash is the sustainable economist, and I will let Stefan and Tim and Dave take it away here.
1: And welcome to the Green Majority here on CATA 9.5 FM, or one of our wonderful radio syndicates, or perhaps on our podcast, which of course can be found on greenmajority.ca. We are in studio uh, doing some of our holiday shows, which are all about big ideas for 2019. I'm in studio with Dave Hostetter and... That's Dave, thank you for that, uh, and uh, Saren Kester as well, and this, we are just doing interview after interview after interview, and today, or right now, is Tim Nash, the sustainable economist. Tim Nash, how are you doing?
2: Hey, hey, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm trying to get my my hopeful, optimistic vibe on for yes. 2019.
1: There we go. Yeah, exactly. That's where. Yeah, We're, we're, all, we're descending slowly in 2018, yeah. but 2019, we're all convinced it's going to be, <laughs> actually, no, there's not a lot. Of, it's going
3: to be a flowering of pure beauty for us all.
1: A flowering? Okay, a flowering of pure beauty. All right, we'll take that optimism into this conversation conversation. Um, obviously, Tim, you've been on the show a whole bunch of times before, so uh, our you. listeners uh, may, I believe, I believe Saren always uh, notes that I think you are the reigning champion of most times on this show. That's right. Uh, and so. Uh, and but, you're going to let me know if anyone gets close. right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, so, I, I really, I need, need that, that email alert. Yeah. <laughs> if somebody's here like five times in a row, we'll call yes. you just so you can say five words just to maintain <laughs> your victory each time. We'll have a, well, have a five minutes with Tim idea at some Great. point. Um, but, uh, uh, so I, a regular listener of the show may know uh, what you all do, but yep. I think it's still valuable to sort of give some framing. So, sure. so what do you do? Sure. So uh, I kind of wear two hats. Uh, on the one hand, I'm
2: the sustainable economist. So I, uh, you know, talking about a lot of big picture macro ideas, you know, how do we change the world? How do we create a sustainable economy? Um, really, there's not a lot of money in that. <laughs> Sadly, uh, this whole thought leadership thing is uh, not very lucrative. So to make money, uh, the other hat that I wear is as founder as of good investment investing Uh, with good investing what I've done is I've taken all these big picture ideas made them actionable so that people can actually learn how to invest their own money online according to their values so if you believe in a lot of what we're talking about this transition to a global green economy most people's investments are kind of invested in the old school in a lot of those dinosaur industries and they often pay a lot of fees especially if you're in mutual funds to the banking sector they're very greedy and like their money so what I do is I teach people how to take control their money, we shift it to an online broker, they can do it themselves, save a whole lot of money in fees, and at the same time, learn about the investment world and figure out how do they, they can move their money and align it uh, with their personal values, but also align it in a way to sort of, you know, where the puck is going, where the economy is headed to make sure that your money is aligned there, that if we're right about you know, climate change <laughs> and these like kind of like yeah. major themes there, as the rest <laughs> of the world figures it out, like all the Money has started moving, so really helping people uh, get ahead of that curve. Amazing, and so okay, so that's where you're coming from. Yep. Uh, so, what is your big idea for 2019? Yep. Uh, so, my big idea is the Green New Deal. So, this is an old idea that seems to be now uh, uh, perhaps this is the year where the Green New Deal really kind of finds its legs and and makes a dent in the psyche. Uh, what we're seeing is so a couple different things that are giving me a lot of optimism. Um, you know, the the, the terminology we use in the investment world, which I think is apropos here, are green shoots. So these small little green shoots of new, they're not quite yet plants, but you know they tend to grow well out of the fertilizer, out of the, the, the excrement, I think I'm allowed to say on the radio, <laughs> which you know we've seen a lot of here in 2018. And so what I'm seeing emerging from that is this concept of a Green New Deal. Uh, governments right now, it's kind of this funny situation where the economy seems to be doing well. Uh, lots of jobs available. Unemployment's quite low, right? Uh, we seem to be—you know—all the indicators are positive, and yet people feel that the economy is in a very precarious situation right now. Uh, nobody feels confident even though you know seemingly if you just looked at the data you know we should but nobody does. So there's kind of this funny reaction by governments where we're still seeing you know the government of Canada uh, spending a lot um, you know running a deficit uh, in the US. you know they've got a massive deficit. so you know it's kind of a funny scenario but but governments are still looking to invest in growth. The question is what type of growth should they be investing in? So uh, the optimism that I'm seeing is uh, you know now with the Democrats taking control of the the Congress, the House of Representatives. Uh, Some younger uh, uh, elected representatives, top of that list is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And that she's kind of finding her voice in Congress as this progressive leader, leader of this sort of progressive wing of the Democrats. And they've been aided by something called the Sunrise Movement, which is all these kids in the US that are really, really worried about climate change, and they've been doing some really, really innovative, cool protests to get their message out there, but basically that it's time for a Green New Deal, where, you know, we're, this would be massive investments in green infrastructure. This would be job creation. So specifically looking at energy efficiency, which is the highest jobs per sort of dollar spent. And, and that really looking at, is this the year where governments are going to, rather than sort of investing in the old school infrastructure, uh, rather than having sort of tax cuts for the rich, uh, could we start to see governments making massive investments in green infrastructure and that new economy?
1: So, so just to, to, sort of take a step back here uh you know for those uh, those people who may not have, have have studied this uh what was the new deal
2: the new deal oh geez now you're testing my history brain here i should have prepared for this better uh <laughs> i'm gonna say roosevelt is gonna I th- be my I believe guess you're right i believe you're right roosevelt. Uh, but this is like coming out of the great depression yeah and if you can get some Wikipedia
3: i've heard the new deal and and now why this is being called the green new deal described as uh, quite simply, in terms of structure, the freeing up of idle cash, sure, uh, in, invested into things that people actually require.
2: Yeah, and I mean it does come down to this idea of government support. So basically, like the my understanding of the history, and, and please fact check me on this, mm-hmm. but is that you know we had the uh, we had the the Great Depression, uh, things were in really really rough shape, um, you, nobody knew what to do. Right, it was kind of unprecedented. And that so entering, I believe it was Roosevelt. It was Ro- thank Roosevelt you, you who was just like, We're gonna create the new deal. And this is where the US built out their their highway, interstate highway system. This is where they, they built out a lot of the massive amounts of infrastructure that were rather on a state by state level that were sort of, you know, nationally connected. Um, and that really it was it was a sort of a, a make jobs program where it was like we're gonna pump this money into the economy, we're gonna build that infrastructure that we need anyway. That's going to have all these positive spinoff effects. um, But that's really how we're going to get out of this economic recession, create jobs for everyone. It was really a job creation program, but do so in a way that's going to set us up for future growth. Right, That it's not just like, you know, make money on useless things, but do things that are actually going to catalyze what we call a multiplier effect in government, whereby for every like million dollars invested, that would then generate an additional, you know, uh, uh, five to 10 to $15 million of additional investment, of additional uh, economic development. Um, Yeah. And so
1: that's, I think, am I right there? Yeah. The one thing you missed, uh, which I think actually is, is somewhat interesting and important to sort of loop into. The New Deal uh, is that it also built out the, the social security state. It also yes. it also built out the it also built out the With protections, safety nets. safety nets for workers, and for so it has this element of not just being it sort of it ends up being these. What's interesting is I feel the New Deal did two things, right? It was a job creation economy piece, and it was also a uh, it was a protecting workers uh, yeah. piece. Yeah. And and I feel like the Green New Deal, to some extent, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is taking those two same elements. Like the other thing, a Green New Deal includes basically. A, a you know job creation element includes a let's protect our workers and reduce sure. income inequality. So element. maybe
2: like a guaranteed minimum income aspect. Uh,
1: uh, uh, yeah, something like that. I, b- I believe that I believe their f- their analogy is, is a jobs guarantee. Yeah. Um. And and then but with with environment right. It's like right. adding. You know. It's like it's like okay. We need to reset. Yeah. Uh, from a similar type of like 1930s. You need to reset to protect workers' rights and right. protect humans from just like you know not being able. If like unemployment is tanking.
2: Yeah. Um. And you know,
1: And let me put it in context. Like yeah. here
2: in Canada, where it's like I'm hearing a lot from Alberta right now. Right. Right. And it's like there's this weird conversation. And, you know, I think there is an element where their economy was just going so strong that they had this sort of wind at their back. They were just cruising. And now all of a sudden they're still ahead of a lot of the country. But because things are more challenging there, right, it feels more like a crisis. And even though their economy is is still like their per capita income is so much higher than a lot of provinces. You know, I'm hearing a lot of people say, no, actually, we're in crisis because we're not where we were. And so, you know, to me, it's like when we look at the, the the energy economy there and you know also looking at the 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 uh manufacturing plant in Oshawa, you know also looking at there's you know all these taxi drivers with uber and lyft like a yeah. lot of industries are going through massive transformation right now but if we stay focused on the energy sector in Alberta you know looking at it that that they want a path forward right. and they have all these skills and these abilities and you know all of this knowledge within the energy sector it's just that sadly it's the energy sector that they're Part of is one that is going to be phased out over the coming decades.
1: Well, yeah, and, and the, the green, the green economy or, or green economy being a part of uh, of this just transition uh, seems to me to be quite quite important, right? right? Like like the the ability to do the next thing, yeah. Uh, from a standpoint of, uh, of 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 these workers, especially, that's how you get them on board, right? That's they, they're it. Not, they are not going to be, you know, you cannot tell someone that we're going to put you on the job. You got to right. tell them we're going to give you a new job that is that that you can feel good about that you can move this forward. This is
2: it and I think so for me it's all about with Green New Deal and with 2019 it's all about creating those solutions I think that this year a lot of the narrative was like you can't do that for environmentalists it was like you know we can't build a pipeline you know we can't you know people can't be this. I, you know with the carbon tax which I fully support right I think it's Mm -hmm. the best initiative but we've seen the pushback from that where it's like and people are saying you can't tell me to change my behavior unless we have alternatives Mm -hmm. you can't tell me to leave my car at home unless Unless there is public transit that will actually get me to where I need to go unless I have those solutions. So I think now with the Green New Deal, the idea would be sort of to to develop that economy in a sense of let's build out those solutions. And even if they are a little more expensive – you know, even if they are, you know, in terms of job retraining programs, mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, minimum supports, um, that that stuff's not going to be cheap. But the idea is is we're, we've kind of decided that we're going to run a deficit, even though the economy is good. Like this isn't necessarily the best sort of macroeconomic play right now. But I think everyone feels that precarity that, that government needs to be seen as doing something. And so this is them doing something, spending that money in a way that's going to protect workers. Protect jobs, kind of really look after you know uh, 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 people that maybe don't have the highest incomes right now, but at the same time, build, building towards that future yeah. that we're not going to like put band-aids on the old sectors anymore. I hope, <laughs> and instead we're actually going to be building the industries and the skills uh, that are going to serve us well in the coming decades.
1: Right. So, so you're an economist, uh, or uh, the yeah. and 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 so you, and you have and there's this platform put in front of you. And 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 there's momentum towards this sort of thing, uh, you know. I, I think it's relatively reasonable to presume that this is not happening until 2020, um, with a, with you know an election of a different uh, president. Um, and but maybe not. Maybe we get there earlier. Yeah.
2: But uh, like, I mean, for me, it's just it's it's the awareness. That's what I see. I think that right now it's still we're fighting a psychological battle.
1: Right. Sorry, but, but yeah, it was fair. What I was trying to get to was. You, you're, you're, you're somehow uh, in future. Tim is somehow brought into the the new the new uh, government in 2029, in uh, and you are asked uh, to you're fu- you're in charge of helping funnel the funds. Yeah, uh, you're in charge of being like, okay, we've we do agree we need a huge investment on, in in this in this industry. Yep. with jobs with events like that. Where are you putting your money?
2: Uh, reducing waste. Hmm. The, to me, it's like the the easiest thing from all the stats, the best return on investment, uh, and as well if the focus is job creation right it's the easiest thing is reducing the amount of energy that we're using right now so identifying where that waste is so much of it is in in our built environment I remember these talking this was like 10 years ago you know Van Jones was talking about uh, you know we need we need youth to put down handguns and pick up caulking guns right but that is like seriously in terms of our built environment in terms of that improving the efficiency is going to have the best uh, uh, from what I've seen it's it's the best returns financially it's the best returns in terms of CO2 reduction per dollar spent. And it's the highest number of jobs created because it's very labor intensive. So that to me is like the no-brainer starting point is like just reducing the amount of waste. Like it's, we could have the exact same quality of life Right, the exact same everything, but use a fraction in the, of the amount of energy and heat that we're using right now.
1: Right, and this is like a retrofitting initiative.
2: Yeah, absolutely retrofitting, uh, uh, you know, totally. And then from there, identifying other forms of waste. Like it's just amazing to me a lot of these companies that aren't investing in these green initiatives and they're just like letting heat just like escape from their factories, right? And it's like, capture that, you know, find another use for it. You know, for me, uh, um, I was joking, there's a reality show I love called The Profit. And it's like P-R-O-F-I-T. Right, right, But he just like walks in. It's like struggling businesses. And I was like, man, down the like future Tim, 20 years down the road, I could have my own reality TV show where it's like I'm helping businesses do this. First thing I would look is in the trash bin. Right. What are you throwing at? What are you just wasting? What are you getting rid of? And how do we find a new life for that? And whether it's energy, whether it's materials, frankly, whether it's labor, like how many companies have high skill labors, but they're just using them for menial jobs and they're not investing in in uh, uh, development. They're just wasting that human capital that's just sitting there and languishing when, you know, by investing in their employees, right, building that path from a minimum wage job all the way up you know, to be in management, to then being, you know, potentially an executive in your company. Like that's, there's so much waste right now that that to me is is the starting point so you know definitely retrofits energy management i think you know looking at at construction development you know and really taking the the wasted space so i'm a big fan of laneway homes mm-hmm. you know i don't think a lot of people downtown toronto have cars anymore going to need cars in 20 years so like what are we going to do with all that garage space so much waste there that we could use to build affordable, sustainable housing.
1: And I believe, I believe Minneapolis recently just basically yeah. unzoned the entire city to no longer being single-use housing. So, like, anywhere now, you could – you could densification. So, like, there – you know, that type of thing. It's just me. It's just identifying
2: waste. And I think there are a million and one places – and, you know, it could go through sector by sector or if I'm in government. But it's just like, you know, and it's just sad. Like, you know, we had Ford come in. He's like, I'm going to cut the waste. I'm going to cut this spending And it's like he's cutting all the things that are actually investments in the future. Right. And that all of this stuff that is like, Actually, waste like there's a reason that message resonates because there is a lot of waste in our society, in government, in, on the corporate side, you know, everywhere. And it's just like I don't. I think we're looking at it from the wrong perspective. That if we actually started measuring, you know, energy output, if we started looking at what's in the trash bins, if we started using this like systems thinking perspective, you know, then you could just see where the waste is. You know, and I bet a lot of it is going to be labor. You know, that someone comes in for a minimum wage job, they stay there for however long they can handle it, right? And then now they're at the door because, you know, they wanna move up and if there are no opportunities to grow at that company, you know, that's a huge amount of waste. Like you've got this, you know, brilliant person who already knows your systems and processes and you're just letting them walk out the door. So to me, it's like that's that's where I would look, hmm. um, you know, and uh, uh, I think there are just, there's so many opportunities there hmm. um, and that, but that, you know, when I look at the government of Canada, like buying a pipeline, right. You know, million, and it's like how, what is the equivalent on the return from a social capital, human capital, natural capital, had that money been invested in retraining or in retrofits, or in, right, like it's just, it's there's just there's no doubt in my mind that there is such better places,
1: yeah, to invest, to, to, that, money. To invest that money, yeah. yeah. And, and and that's what that's what's so interesting, especially about sort of the some of the some of the words that uh, when the new the sort of new Ford plan about about the money that sort of he was putting into that would be matched dollar or what you know, four to one dollar sure. ratio. Oh, to, this to is the reverse auction, the, yeah, the, yeah, oh, to unlock the amount of carbon. And it's like right. for me, it was like that was literally what the what the the previous government was doing, right? The previous government was giving and it, much better incentives to, to, to tackle this waste. Right. I think an interesting learning from the previous government, and you can sort of comment on this if you, if you like, it, to me was how hard it becomes as a government to start really enforcing things, uh, once you do the easy stuff, you know, like, like they, you know, they got rid of coal and the, and we had a relatively green energy grid. Uh, and then after that it started being like, okay, how else can we do this? And it became Mm. incentives and became the Mm. policy actions became more, more difficult. Um, and, and, and I think right now, at least we can exist in a world, you know, where, where a bunch of the world could just do this right now. We, we could do a bunch of like the simple things like getting rid of coal and we'd be in a much better place. Right. There's a whole bunch of that super easy stuff. Uh, I would say 2025, you start looking at this like, okay, what does West Virginia look like after, sure. you know, once it shuts down on its coal plants is a different question. Um, but, but yeah, but from the standpoint of investing um, or, or standpoint point of, of, of the government sort of understanding sort of where we're at uh, in, in, in the new, in the new thing or the new, you know, 2019 was a. We're going to pretend it's going to be a brand new world. Um, uh, so, where where do you sort of see that energy going? Where do you sort of see like if you know, where, like a waste is a is a, is obviously the first one. Uh, yeah. If you're in the city of Toronto, it's basically three things: it's waste, it's heat loss, and it's it's transit. Right, those yeah. are the three that are in, sure. in the cities. Um, but like more of a macro scale um, or an Acadian scale.
2: Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's let the market figure it out. Right. I think that that's, you know, and that to me is what's so frustrating about the conversations between governments right now is that, you know, for the longest time we had conservatives looking for a market-based solution. We had, you know, progressives hoping for strict regulation. And, you know, I think regulation has its place, especially when it's an obvious problem. Right. Right. So, you know, you look at the examples of uh, what was it? Uh, CFCs, HCFCs. Like that was a scenario where it was just just like we knew exactly what the issue was regulation is going to be the biggest thing there you know when it comes to carbon it's a lot more complex there are certain things we can't really get away from we can't just do a blanket ban there so to me it's like you know rather than having the government pick and choose there's always going to be this disconnect between good policy versus good politics Mm. which kind of drives me nuts yeah and so rather than that you know the ideal scenario is let the market figure it out Uh, put money in the hands of consumers and you know make it Known that the the efficient options are going to be cheaper, right? Um, put money in the hands of corporations. Uh, let them know that they need to meet their targets, and that there are going to be penalties if they miss those targets. Um, and that really, uh, you know, from an investment perspective, it's figuring out you know that there is this transition taking place right now. There is this curve where some companies are leading the transition. A lot of them are lagging it. Um, you know, putting my investment dollars on the ones that are leading it, knowing that they're ahead of the curve, and then watching to see which one of the laggards sort of wake up the most. Hmm. You know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, in terms of the oil companies, which ones sort of figure it out, But when you look at what's happening in Alberta right now, uh, the ones that kind of anticipated this issue with the supply, the ones that sort of invested in some of the uh, the refining capabilities, and I'm really talking about Suncor, Mm -hmm. is that they kind of saw this happening, that they were ahead of the curve. They're in a much better situation right now Whereas there are a lot of companies that just kind of sat back and were like, no, we're just going to keep doing the same thing. We're not going to diversify. We're just going to sort of hope for the best. And and they're the ones that that have really seen their their revenues plummet quite dramatically. Um, so, I mean, to me, it's just like it it's 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 all about figuring out who's ahead of the curve and who's waking up. Um, it was interesting to see, you know, shareholders have a big impact with Shell. Mm-hmm. So basically this coalition of investors, trillions of dollars, all these investors in Shell. So these are people who have not divested. They own shares in Shell, but they recognize that there was a big risk. Uh, they won a massive victory and they got Shell to now do a carbon risk uh, report and disclosure. And the biggest thing is that they're pushing for executive compensation this. tied to, to climate targets. Yeah. Which is like that's how that's how a company wakes up. Yeah. If you're a CEO and your bonus <laughs> is tied to CO two emissions, guess what report you're gonna be looking at every week or every month. Yeah. Guess where your focus and energy is gonna be. Now, I'm not saying that Shell is automatically gonna become a leader and is gonna do this, but it'll be interesting to see that impact, mm-hmm. right? But that to me it's like it's it's if the government can change the rules that companies are playing by and can align the economic incentives with the policy direction that we know we need to take, then let the companies figure out what to invest in. Let the consumers figure out what they wanna buy. Have regulations, yes, 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 to ensure minimum standards and to go after that low-hanging fruit. But if you're asking me what's beyond the low-hanging fruit, I don't know the answer. No government is gonna know the answer. But I promise you the market does, even if it's just subconsciously, that they're going to figure out what solutions are going to be best for them. But again, you know, back to this thing, I think that, you know, as environmentalists, we've been asking a lot of consumers to make a lot of sacrifices, to make a lot of changes without necessarily providing those solutions, Mm. where oftentimes the solutions are not ideal, are kind of inconvenient, and are often like not ready for prime time, right? Right. In terms of mass audience. So I think to me, like in this next year, that I want to be really solutions focused. I want to see policies like a Green New Deal where we're actually making those investments in tangible solutions, alternatives that work just as well, if not better, than the status quo. And now we're making it really easy for people to switch. Right. And it'll still take time. It's not going to happen overnight. But I want to see I want to see some of those things commercialized, like you know, funny thing, but like this A&W Beyond Beef Burger, right, right, and like it was awesome, and this was like a solution for someone like we're solving the problem that you had. You want a nice, convenient, tasty burger, and it's like here's an option with no red meat, and they sold out, yeah, right. It was unavailable for a while, like it, it wasn't ready, yeah. But now all of a sudden, we know that's a solution. People know that's a solution. If you're looking to reduce your consumption of red meat, but you still like your fat fast food, it serves a need for you, you now have a tangible option to be able to do that. We need more of those solutions. Um, I think public transit and getting around the city is a big one. People that own a car, like, it's just, it's it's not as convenient, yeah. you know, to get around. So, you know, I'd love for people to to, to cycle more, but until the infrastructure is in place. I'd love for people to take more transit until mm. the infrastructure is in place. Right.
1: Well, the good news uh, is that the next person we have on uh, on the show is, is, is from Cycle Toronto. So we can learn about that in half a second. Fantastic. Uh, but, uh, Tim, uh, thank you so much for being here, as always. Uh, Tim Nash, Sustainable Economist, where can they find you online?
2: Uh, so Twitter is at Tim Nash, T-I-M-E-N-A-S-H. The blog is sustainableeconomist.com. I've sent out a newsletter there. And if people are interested in like figuring out what this means for their investments, taking control there, then it's goodinvesting.com.
1: All right. Thank you so much, Tim Nash. Uh, We're off to the music break. Thanks so much, everyone.
0: All right, and we are uh, back live in the studio. It's an actual uh, responsive person now. I am your normal host, sir Kester, and you're listening to the Green Majority. We're doing our Big Ideas for 2019 uh, show uh, today, uh, as was we were last week and half of next week, more or less. Uh, we're going to go to a music break now. Uh, that's all we had with Tim, but as Stefan was just saying, there we'll be back in a few minutes now with Cycle T O to talk about some uh, bike advocacy and a big biking idea for 2019. Uh, in the interim just for a few minutes here we're going to listen to some young blood with five seconds of summer because it's uh, nine degrees outside right now on uh december the 28th as we record this and that's ridiculous so here's young blood God. all right you're listening to the green majority here on ciut 89.5 fm our wonderful radio community radio partners uh all the way across canada into the united states and into uh, outer space technically via very weak and hard to detect radio waves uh we're going to come back now to our 2019 big ideas 2019 show uh we're going to listen now to sarah bradley who's with the cycle to i will let Stefan read in the rest of the interview and we'll be back in just a few minutes after the interview to wrap up uh with the annual playing of the mandatory for the green majority pale blue dot poem by carl sagan but first Here's uh, Stefan interviewing Sarah Bradley from
1: TO. And welcome back to the Green Majority here on CAT 8, 9.5 FM, or one of our wonderful radio syndicates, or perhaps on our podcast, which can be listened to both in space and on Earth at greenmajority.ca. Uh, I'm in studio with Sarah Kaster, Dave Hostetter, I'm Stefan Hostetter, and I am here also with Sarah Bradley from Cycle Toronto. Uh, thank you very much for being here.
4: Thanks so much for having us. This is great.
1: Yeah, so we are uh, – this is our holiday shows of big ideas for 2019 – uh, and so we've had a whole bunch of ideas so far. Uh, big, and we big, carry big, on. Big,
3: big ideas. Big ideas. Big ideas.
1: Uh, yeah. Although I feel like I, I I got a hint that this one is a little more actionable. Mm. Uh, some of the other ideas were more like you know big ideas for like 2019 and beyond. I think this one really is a 2019 idea. Mm. Um, but but first uh, I just Sarah, it's good to just get a sense of you know for those of us who maybe there are some listeners who who we broadcast again across syndicates and so some may not know about Cycle Toronto specifically. Uh, so what does Cycle Toronto do?
4: Sure. So Cycle Toronto is Toronto's only membership-based cycling advocacy organization. So we have just over 3,000 members um, in neighborhoods across the city. And basically, we advocate for a better cycling city for all. So that means getting more bike lanes built. Um, You know, in 2017, we celebrated getting the Bloor bike lanes built. It's a pretty small segment, but it's been pretty transformative in terms of building kind of the spine of a solid network. Um, We also run education and encouragement programs as well. So we're behind things like Bike Month, and we run group rides, um, musical rides. We do workshops in libraries across the city. So we really aim to support people who want to ride, who are interested in riding, who need to build confidence riding. So we try to, you know, meet people where they are.
1: All right. Great. So it's all about getting more people to cycle.
4: Absolutely. Do you you talk
3: to people? I'm just going to get into his big ideas. But I'm wondering if you talk to people uh, about how to uh, behave on a road without a bike lane. Because a lot of people Mm -hmm. just simply do not want to ride on roads without bike lanes. However, I find that that riding on roads without bike lanes can improve the relationship between cars and bicycles generally.
4: Yeah, no, we get that question all the time because, you know, regretfully, we have a bike plan in place, but we don't actually have a lot of protected and painted bike lanes, mm. as you may have noticed. It's kind mm-hmm. of uh, it's the beginnings of a network, but we're not there yet. So, yeah, a lot of the time people end up riding on we recommend people try to ride on kind of quiet streets if they can. I mean, I don't think anyone really enjoys riding out Spadina or Young at this point. You know, it doesn't feel like there's space for you as a person biking. So, yeah, we definitely um, try to share resources to help people ride on those streets without bike lanes. Um, for example, you know, we, we share route planning tips. We, um, you know, we try to... Encourage people to use the signed routes. I mean, sharrows are not ideal, but they can help you wayfind around the city. So I think a lot of the time, like, I think a big obstacle to people riding is actually just knowing how to plan a safe route. It can feel very overwhelming because you look at the bike map and you're like, okay, here's a a nice segment of bike lane here. Here's a nice segment there. But how do I connect them? So So you
3: suggest that people actually don't ride on the big streets without bike lanes.
4: Well, I... I mean, that's just my personal preference. Um, I'm, I'm pretty confident, but, you know, there are those times when you're, you know, you're whizzing out Spadina and there's, there's taxi cabs pulling in and out, there's ride hailing vehicles, there's people coming, you know, people jaywalking, which is fine. Um, but there's just a lot going on. And I think that, you know, unless you're like super duper confident, I would say mm-hmm. maybe stay clear streets like that if you can.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I certainly think it's, uh, I remember uh, recently or uh, recently, talking into uh, to someone uh, around the idea of sort of this minimum grid yeah, uh, needed right. to needed to sort of build it out, but uh, but I do want to get to this big idea of 2019 because it is it is not addressing sort of the sh- rideable the roads, my understanding. It is it is more about just making making bike ownership uh, more pleasurable and more consistent. I guess I'll say. So, what is your big idea for 2019?
4: Yes, our big idea for 2019 is to end bike theft in Toronto. So Ooh, wow. it's like the lack of cycling infrastructure is a big barrier to people riding, but so is having one's bike stolen. I think you talk to anybody who's ride, been riding in Toronto for fears and they've had at least one bike stolen. And we kind of accept that as the norm, unfortunately, because, you know, you can register your bike with the police. Um, that is a way to tr- sort of safeguard it. You can get insurance, but... Um, as you might know, the rate of recovery is extremely low. It's around 1% consistently since 2014. So people really don't have that much faith in our current system, unfortunately. And it seems like um, we kind of need we need a new system. So what we're doing at Cycle Toronto is we're working to bring a, um, an initiative called 529 Garage um, to Toronto. So it's a proven bike registry and recovery system um, based in Vancouver, mm. And since the th- about three years since it's been deployed there, bike theft. Has been reduced by about thirty percent. Wow. On, on average, one bike is returned to its owner per day, which is incredible. Wow. Because here, I think about fifty bikes are returned per year, which is a really low number given how many
1: fifty bikes. Yeah, for sorry, we're in a city of th- over three million people. That's right. And fifty total bikes get returned a year.
4: That's right. So it's a very low percentage. About four thousand bikes were reported stolen in twenty seventeen, but wow. um, it's underreported by a factor of four or five. Oh so, yeah, I've,
1: I've and I, I yeah. you know I know that I you know we were you know uh my office recently moved and during a one weekend two different people's bikes were stolen or at least were stolen or 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 parts were stolen you know like whether or not it's the full or or part of it so what does what does this registry do what is what's the whole idea
4: so the way it works it's kind of like a community powered like eyes on the street system so it's an app so people uh, download the app on their phone it's really user-friendly and what they do is they just take about i think it's about five steps to register your bike so you enter some key details for example the color the the model, any distinguishing features of it that, that can uh, identify it as your own. And you take a photo of the bike itself and a photo of you with the bike to prove that you're the owner. So it's really simple. It takes about five to 10 minutes, I would say, to register your bike. It's, I would say it's more user-friendly than the current system we have now. And so you enter all your information into this system. And then what happens is that if your bike is stolen, you report it on this app and it immediately sends it an alert. So anyone who has the app um, receives a notice with all the details of your bike. And then it's like a neighborhood watch type system so mm. people look out for it and the the idea is that um, when bikes are stolen they're often moved really quickly whether it's to another part of the city or even like you know across borders um, and so the quicker that you can get that alert out the better um, and it's cool because I think a lot of the time people in Toronto are really keen to, to do something to take action when a bike is stolen whether it's their own or their friends or just you know people have empathy And so, giving them an uh, an easy way to connect and help get people's bikes back, we think, could be really transformative.
1: And, and, and so they and then so the so that everyone gets this alert and they l- look up for it. And then and then someone finds it. Is there a way to report it once you find it? Like, do you? Yeah. So what's, yeah, what's the sort of next step? There?
4: Yeah, exactly. So you'd report it again through the app. And then the person the, the owner of the bike would get that alert. And, and so um, I'm actually not exactly sure how it works. I should find out more. But I think the idea is that the, the person reports it and says where where they've seen it. And then um, I'm actually not sure. That's a good question. How does it work? <laughs> how do we get it back? How do you get it back? We, we, we you know where the, it is. But the then. first half. Uh, and then yeah, the, we got the first half.
1: <laughs> I get. I imagine the people who probably started in Vancouver probably they, they themselves are probably somehow involved in this process. They. They. What. What, what does? How did? It, do you know any history about sort of what five the five garage does in Vancouver like who are they
4: yeah so it's actually a really interesting story the person who founded it uh, whose name is Jay um, is it like a software developer like a total whiz in that department and just you know rides a bike has been really active in the bike community in Vancouver and just saw this huge need I mean bike theft I think was even worse in Vancouver than than it is here in Toronto just saw this need for, for a simple system but one that really connects um, you know people riding bikes um, the, the police and the city and bike shops and community organizations organizations. Mm. So just a really a way to bring all of these groups together and they all kind of, you know, they have, they're working towards the same goal, but there was no tool to help them work together. And so for us, um, Cycle Toronto, we have great relationships with a lot of local bike shops in Toronto. And we see this as a great way for bike shops to help people register their bikes. Mm. Oh, I should have mentioned um, as part of this project, people get a 529 garage shield on their bike. Uh. So it's literally like a decal that you put on your bike and that identifies it. And it's, it acts apparently as a deterrent to potential thieves they see the shield and they start to recognize it and they know that there's going to be people looking out if it's stolen so the idea is that bike shops would be able to sell these shields for about maybe 10 to 20 dollars and then that way they could be plugged into the system as well, and they could be part of the education piece.
1: Yeah, I Because that seems to be like a, a big piece of this is I I don't actually know what happens so often with bikes when they get stolen. Yeah, I, I sort of mystery. always I sort of always presume they ended up in sort of these scrapyards that then sold sold, sold 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 like makeshift bikes in some other capacity, mm-hmm. um, and so sort of bringing the bike. The whole bike community involved into it would would allow you to maybe sort of you know get that part sort of separated from the mm-hmm. from the whole scenario. Um, do you know what happens to the bikes? Is there is like is, is what like where do they go? Like are they sold back in Toronto? You said they often are pulled outside of outside of the city. So is there like a is there like an underground bike? Uh, like <sighs> yeah. Know? Like they, they, like all Toronto stolen bikes end up in Montreal, and Montreal's bikes stolen end up here. Is this like something like, like a- that?
4: Yeah, no, there are there are pretty, pretty advanced networks. There are also you know people who steal bikes because they do need quick money. So there's right. also those quick transactions which happen as well. But the way we see it, there's kind of multiple layers of, of organized organized crime. Um, we do recognize that a lot of the time people are stealing bikes because they do need quick money, and so it's a systemic problem. It's not just like oh bike thieves are the worst. I mean they kind of are. It feels like it when your bike gets stolen. Right. But um, it's 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 a whole organized system and what what 529 garage really tries to do is dismantle those organized systems right? right so when when people are stealing bikes or parts and then they're shipping them off and selling them in other in other jurisdictions often
1: hmm. yeah because yeah, because that was the i guess in my head was the other th- the other thing would be interesting would be would if you did have that have that um sort of visible shield mm-hmm. uh, it would certainly make it more difficult to sell it on something like kijiji you know right, like if exactly. you, it's certainly more yeah. difficult to sort of be like oh okay because then you then you would know if you saw that you could then go back into the you could download the app and Check has this been you know has this been stolen has this been stolen because the bike it's because like I guess there's a question here of do you know if the app contains a directory uh, of of bikes stolen previously so you might be able to check back on you know if I was like oh I need I have found someone is trying to sell me this red you know this red bike with these sorry of handlebars and it's got a shield on it could I go back into the app and be like
3: has this been reported stolen the Yes past of a while?
4: exactly yeah okay. you're you're summing up exactly how it works yeah, yeah. and this mm-hmm.
3: shield this is a physical marking on the bike or what yeah it?
4: it's a it's a decal so it's you know weatherproof uh um and yeah you you put it in a highly visible location on your bike and so that shield in combination with your serial number which is engraved on your uh, frame it's usually kind of on the bottom so it's kind of hard to find but those two things in in tandem would help you um would help you identify your bike once it's been reported stolen and once it's once it's in the system
3: mm.
1: And, and so, so what is the what's the first step of uh, of bringing this uh, here? What's your what's the, what's Cycle Toronto's sort of first move to, to do this?
4: Well, what we're doing right now is we're running our year end fundraising campaign. So normally we raise money more broadly for our education efforts to help people riding across the city. Um, so this year we're kind of doing something a little different, and we're saying to our community, you know, we've we've been hearing that people are increasingly frustrated with bike theft. So let's let's raise the money we need to um, number one uh, continue to build our partnerships with the Toronto Police with the city of toronto with bike shops with other community organizations because we'll all need to work together we can't just we can't do this alone um so that's number one continue building up partnerships second one is to actually order those shields and get them in bike shops we'll probably be selling them as well um i think in vancouver mech sells them so getting those out into the community and then the third part is perhaps most important is just spreading the word about the system so when you first bring a system like this to a city um it's Crucial to get people on board right away, and so we see kind of spring leading up to Bike Month when people are thinking about getting bikes, getting back on their bikes. We see that as a really opportune moment to be, you know, through our outreach stations, having people be able to register, download the app, take five minutes, to register their bike right then and there, and get a shield right then and there. And so really supporting people to become part of the system. That's what we see our role as. Uh-huh.
1: All right, and so from a from a perspective uh, from Vancouver, has this expanded anywhere else or? is it Vancouver sort of it's is it only there in Toronto would be sort of second what's the No
4: it's um it's quite uh it's in quite a few cities across I believe it's mainly in the Pacific Northwest so it's definitely in Seattle it might be in Portland um Vancouver is where you I think it's kind of the nexus um They've really seen transformative um, impacts, um, but yeah, it's in it's in quite a few American cities, but uh, hasn't come east yet. So uh, we we uh, we see a huge opportunity to bring it here, and our goal is to get about twenty thousand bikes registered in the first year, and really just grow exponentially from there.
1: Oh wow! So how many do you know? How many bikes are registered in Vancouver? Like, what's the
4: Ah, uh, I do not. Okay. I, I can get back to you. It's it's a very high number. Yes.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> like, is, is it? You know, it does make sense from a standpoint of of of, of trying to. You know, these are what's interesting about this, is this. I remember when I went out to purchase my bike. Um, it, now it's like five six years ago, mm. uh, and I was making this decision between sort of like you know it was like a two hundred dollar beater or like actually invest in a in a bike. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and ultimately I went with sort of the investment route because I was like, well, this is my primary mode of transportation. For sure. Yep. Uh, but of course. Then it also led me to be doing, be hyper vigilant about the concept of it, of it being stolen because I did not have the, I could not buy it again. Like that was, it was like I had a bike or I was not going to have a bike. There was not this sort of opportunity to sort of, uh, to feel like, like I certainly thought if it's stolen, there's no way I'm getting it back. Mm-hmm. Like that's it's a terrible
4: sure. feeling, right? Oh, you're saying it's the way you get around every day and yeah. you know that. And you know, no, no lock is infallible. So,
1: r- unfortunately,
4: r- that's the reality. Yeah.
1: Right? Exactly. Yeah. And then, and then, not only is not only that, but also like I'm, I'm intrigued by the concept of, the, of potentially this. Uh, if you were more certain if you did have a better belief that this might be possible would people start investing in better bikes mm-hmm. and then does the investment in better bikes make their riding experience more you know positive which means you know XYz like is this a uh, is this sort of a first step towards a turns just a much stronger say bike culture mm-hmm. uh, within 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 a city um and and so that that sort of the growth within that sort of community uh is is possible when you are Confident you won't lose a bike.
4: <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, um, you've probably heard this from people you know who ride. But often when, when somebody's bike is stolen, um, they just stop riding because they don't right. have the resources. They feel disillusioned. Um, they don't have you know a stopgap to help them keep riding. And so they end up switching. Um, and often that ends up really impacting the quality of life. Because if they're relying on biking to get around, they end up switching to transit, which you know is a lot of the time more time and, and money. It's, you know, MetroPass is not cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And yeah, most people are not necessarily in the position to be able to immediately get a new bike. You know, sometimes people end up borrowing a friend's. But like you're saying, if the bike doesn't fit or it's not in great shape, and you don't feel like you have the resources to fix it up, it basically people just end up stopping riding.
3: Well, maybe this is my own incompetence, but I'm still uh, slightly confused as to how the um, registration system in Vancouver allows more people to recover the bike. Because like, if you have it in the hands of criminals, like how is it that you're locating the bike? or how is it that you're registering the bike? Uh, How is the registry allowing you to then go and retrieve it?
0: So I, I actually, sorry, Saren cutting in here. I actually Googled it while you guys were oh, <laughs> doing it. So uh, yeah. upon uh, reviewing their website as much as I could, they, it is even their website is lacking some detail on the specifics, but the definitely the impression that they give is that by, uh, the implication seems to be that a lot of these things are not necessarily that they never find the bike, but that, that they, they if they do find a bike, it never gets back to the owner. Mm. And so the idea here and what they're really promoting, and in fact, their website actually promotes this to law enforcement. Like they're expecting law enforcement and city services to, to to be their quote-unquote customers, mm-hmm. uh, not just uh, members, is that we, hey we're going to give you for free the uh, the 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 tracking information. You just have to make use of it, and so they're they're sort of providing a service to allow these other mechanisms to be more effective, rather than them themselves necessarily adding too much of a service. I think would be more of a way to look at it.
1: Right. So so what they're doing is they're dramatically increasing the number that are registered and then also and then way easing ways to get it back because the yeah.
3: police have uh, tons of bikes that they uh, other people's bikes that they can't return that they just auction. Right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because they don't know who owns them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if you get them is so that's this it's this extra step of now knowing who owns them that allows you to return it.
0: Yeah. And they really are. And it's quite front right and center that they're promoting the idea that before you buy any bike, you should check the system for right. it. So that is that's hmm. explicitly one of the primary features. Yes.
1: All right. Uh, so we are coming up to right near the end, but I want to give you uh, so, so if you want people want to get involved in this uh, or, or, or learn more, uh, where can they do this and, and how can they help?
4: Sure. So they can visit our website, which is CycleTO.ca. And on our homepage, we have um, information about our end bike theft campaign, including how to contribute financially or simply just find out more. Um, People can follow us on social media. We're releasing new stories about bike theft every week. Um, So check those out. And yeah, we'll be um, hopefully deploying the system in 2019, pending the success of our fundraising campaign. And we'll hopefully be reaching people at outreach stations and um, across the city. So, yeah, look out look out for 529 Garage in Toronto in 2019.
1: All right. Thank Sweet. you. Thank you very much, Sarah, uh, from Cycle Toronto. Uh, and we're all off to our music break. Uh, have a wonderful music time. I don't know. Cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> And then I didn't because I like teasing Stefan. Oh,
0: well, this is the great majority we're listening to. Uh, We just got about 10 minutes here. Both of those interviews were on the long side. So we just have a couple of quick clips. There are more for fun. I have my annual required play of Carl Sagan coming up. And then just one more Richard Feynman clip. Just some light fare to ease you into uh, the second week of the holidays. Uh, We will be back in a minute uh, just after this music break. And then a couple of quick fun clips before we go. So uh, what are we going to listen to? I think I found... Yeah, that's right. I found some Joni Mitchell. This is Sugar Mountain from 1967. All right, so we are back. We're going to play the last few minutes here. As I said, you're listening to the Green Majority here on CIT 89.5 FM. And we're going to play, as I said, the mandatory Carl Sagan clip. So this is just a couple minutes long, but I think once a year, everyone needs to think about this. Uh, I find it very centering, at least once a year. And then we'll be back with Richard Feynman to switch out the show. But here is the one and only Carl Sagan.
5: Vantage Point. Beautiful might not seem of any particular interest. From this distant vantage point, the earth might not seem of any particular interest. But for us, it's different. Consider again that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you ever heard of, every human being who ever was lived out their lives. The aggregate of our joy and suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies and economic doctrines, every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every mother and father, hopeful child How eager they are to kill one another. How fervent their hatreds. Our posturings, our imagined self-importance, the delusion that we have some privileged position in the universe are challenged by this point of pale light. Our planet is a lonely speck in the great enveloping cosmic dark. In our The only home we've ever known.
6: If I'm sitting next to a swimming pool and somebody dives in. And she's not too pretty, so I can think of something else. I think of the waves and things that have formed in the water. And uh, when there's lots of people have dived in the pool, there's a very great choppiness of all these waves all over the water, and to think that it's possible, maybe, that in those waves is a clue as to what's happening in the pool, that some sort of insect or something with sufficient cleverness could sit in the corner of the pool and just be disturbed by the waves, and by the nature of the irregularities and bumping of the waves, have figured out who jumped in, where and when, and where, what's happening all over the pool. And that's what we're doing when we're looking at something. Uh, The light that comes out is is waves, just like in the swimming pool, except in three dimensions instead of the two dimensions of the pool. They're going in all directions. And we have an eighth of an inch black hole into which these things go, which uh, is particularly sensitive to the parts of the waves that are coming in. A particular direction it's not particularly sensitive when they're coming in at the wrong angle which you say is from the corner of our eye and if we want to get more information in the corner of our eye we swivel this ball about so that the hole moves from place to place. then uh, it's quite wonderful that we can see figure out so easy (laughs) that's really because the light waves are easier than the the waves in the water a little bit more complicated it would have been harder for the bug than for us but it's the same idea to figure out what the thing is that we're looking at at a distance. And this is kind of incredible because when I'm looking at you, someone standing to my left could see somebody who's standing at my right. That is, the light could be going right across this way. The waves are going this way, the waves are going this way, the waves are going this way. It's just a complete network. Now, it's easy to think of them as arrows passing each other. But that's not the way it is, because all it is is something shaking. It's called the electric field, but we don't have to bother with what it is. It's just like the water height is going up and down. So there's some quantities shaking about here. And in a combination of motions, that's so elaborate and complicated that that result is to produce an influence which makes me see you at the same time completely undisturbed by the fact that there are influences that represent the other guy seeing him on this side. So that there's this tremendous mess waves all over in space which we call which is the light bouncing around the room and going from one thing to the other because of course most of the room doesn't have eighth inch black holes it's not interested in that light but the light's there anyway i mean it bounces off this
0: all right. Well, unfortunately, I'm so sorry. We're about two minutes short to actually finish that clip. That second clip was Richard Fenneman. I'm going to post the rest of the clip on the YouTube channel. Uh, it's one of the most fav- uh, famous Richard Fenneman, uh clips, and I'm so sorry that we ran out of time for it. But uh, again, you can go to greenmajority.ca, and I'll have the rest of that clip posted. You can listen to it yourself, as well as the With Music version of the Carl Sagan quote. Thank you so much for listening to The Green Majority this week. Uh, we hope you are having a great holiday, and we'll be back with half a pre-recorded show uh, and the rest of our big ideas for 2019 show Next week. Other than that, have a good Green Week, folks. Thanks so much and take care.